The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 122. A sequel chat movie review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to the most triumphant return of Sequel Chat. I am Adam, and with me tonight is... Jeremy. And... Colton. Whoa. (laughs) Hey, welcome back, dudes. And uh, it's been a while. We were just checking the stats here, and it's been like a year since we've had a Sequel Chat. And, uh, you know, we kind of ended the format just in time when there was no more opportunity to go to the theaters. So, right. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a wild 2020 so far, but man, what a way to get back in the saddle as we get ready to talk Bill and Ted face the music and a film that if you've listened to our recent sequel quest rewind episode where we were pitching our ideas for a third Bill and Ted film i was the most skeptical not believing we would actually get this movie uh, so i'm curious you know in that episode we got to hear a little bit about you know jeremy's seen the film he's familiar with it i have been a, a lifelong fan steeped in the lore and uh, even visited the filming locations of the original film here in arizona same uh, yeah yep oh uh, i got to, I got to it, visit Colton. metro center mall right before they shut it down <laughs> Yes, it was a ghost town to walk through that mall. It was sad. There was no aerobics uh, demonstration. On, on the last day, though, a lot of nostalgic people were there with me, so it was actually kind of crowded. But I have been there when it was in ghost town state. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of uh, excitement here. But what about for you, Colton, as far as having experienced the film, you know, on home video or in theaters? How connected were you to the Bill and Ted universe? Um, guilty admission. I was first introduced to the franchise through the short-lived animated series that was on CBS and then later Fox Kids. Wow. I had the mistaken impression that the movie was a live-action movie based on this cartoon that I enjoyed. (laughs) That happened to me way too much. Same thing happened to me with freaking Karate Kid. I'm not joking, dude. Like, I'd see the cartoon first. Ghostbusters as well. (laughs) I'd see the cartoon first. Then later I'd see there's a live action movie and go, oh my gosh, they made a live action version of this cartoon I enjoy. Yay, good for me. Um, It was a frequent vice of mine uh, when I was just getting out of infancy. But I grew up really liking Excellent Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. And I remember going to the video rental store. I don't know if you guys have heard of this chain, Hastings. Mm -hmm. But I grew up enjoying Hastings. It's more of a northern Arizona thing, I suppose. But I go there, and I was like, okay, time. We, we just watched Excellent Adventure. We just watched Bogus Journey. Let's look for the third one. Because to me, that just always made sense. There's always, like, trilogies and threes, right? And, you know, I found out there is no third Bill and Ted movie. And that irritated me a lot. I was like, it, it just it made sense. You know, there just had to be more to the story. You know what I mean? Uh, Bogus Journey, don't get me wrong, it doesn't end on, like, a cliffhanger or anything. But it clearly opens up their world to let them know there's a whole bunch more of their destiny to fulfill, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So that irked me for decades. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I always felt like there had to be another film. There had to be another story. Cartoon show wasn't going to cut it. It needed to be something cinematic. Also, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Maybe you are. The very short-lived live-action Bill and Ted show that was on Fox, I believe. <laughs> yeah, well, that, what's bizarre about that is that yeah. it came out concurrently with Bogus Journey. And oh. then in the original season, the first season of the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures cartoon series, it was Keanu Reeves, George yep. Carlin, Alex yep. Winter. But the second season, it, it was, was the all the guys from the show. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember thinking that was strange, but I loved how it didn't dumb it down for kids. Like George Carlin, he voicing Rufus on the show, animated Rufus was in a record store picking up a George Carlin comedy album and saying, hmm, this is interesting. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> this show's the cut above the rest. It's not afraid to go meta. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, but I mean, that that sounds like it was a, an exciting time. And yeah, it's interesting you say, you know, that it always felt like there was another movie, another story to be told because <laughs> where Bill and Ted really lived after the first two films was actually in comic books. And they have had comics for a long time. Like when Bogus Journey came out, Evan Dorkin did a series for Marvel where it was Bill Ted's, you know, excellent comic book. And so they continued <laughs> with the characters and they, they had little adventures here there. It didn't last very long. I think it was only like eight issues. But then in the last five or six years, there have been various Bill and Ted comic book series that have been coming out and filling in a lot of gaps. Like I, I read one in particular that says, well, where have Bill and Ted's moms been? Well, they've been traveling through space, trying to unite the universe to, to listen to <laughs> Wild Stallion's music. They've been working, you know, behind the scenes because they were you know, told about the plan and they believed in it that they disappeared just before Bill and Ted were going to be introduced to Rufus and everything to get a head start. You know, so there's a lot of fun stuff like that in the comic book world. Uh, but yeah, but then you come to this and you guys probably recall, it seemed like it was about five years ago we start hearing the talk of, oh, yes, yeah, we're working on a new Bill and Ted film. Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves are in. And so now it's just a matter of finding a studio that will finance it, finding the means to put it all together. Um, but the truth of the matter is the movie didn't get made for all these years because Keanu Reeves' agent was just vehemently against him ever returning to the role of Ted Theodore Logan. Right. I well, not, I did not know about the agent. Yeah. I was just reading an article where uh, after the Ed Solomon and uh, Chris Matheson, who are the writers and the people who originated the roles of Bill and Ted on stage, they created, you know, originally the script they wrote was just for fun. It got picked up for the original movie. Then a studio financed the second movie, but the second movie didn't make enough money to justify a third and so they just kind of let it go, you know, had all the other stuff happening around it. And then Bill and Ted faded away. And in the meantime, Keanu Reeves is doing everything he can to distance himself, right, from that type of slacker, you know, surfer dude sounded role. Yeah. And then they eventually what happened was he started talking about it in like red carpet interviews in the early 2000s because everybody's always like, would you ever do another Bill and Ted movie? And he finally started saying, I wouldn't be opposed to it. So then Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon got a meeting with his agent and the agent's like, get out of here. He's not <laughs> doing it. I promise you he will never do another Bill and Ted movie. And that had been like 
the line, you know, but then uh, is that agent still working with Reeves? Good or... question, right? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because I have to say, like, just over the years, we're talking big scope of things. I'd heard stories of Keanu Reeves going and doing theater. And heaven help him if he did anything that was remotely Shakespearean or medieval. There were times where, back then, people did say things along the lines, including the two words put together, most excellent. And there were reports. If he ever said the words most and excellent together, people in the crowd would just kind of start chuckling uncomfortably. And so I was told that irked him and that he was anxious to distance himself in that regard. And also, another story, maybe you guys already heard about this. But anyways, as you guys know, Keanu Reeves was not in Speed 2. And in an interview asked why he didn't do it, he said it was the wrong sequel at the wrong time. Heavily implying he just didn't do sequels, generally speaking. He, he didn't enjoy them. As his, as his star rose, his interest in doing projects that could be considered lowbrow didn't appeal to him. And you know what? He's a better man for it, because I've never even been able to finish Speed 2. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Willem Dafoe couldn't save it for you, huh? <laughs> So many memes from that role. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I always just assumed Keanu Reeves was uh, really interested in taking on challenging roles that really put him in the pressure. On his boundaries. Yeah, put, put him in the pressure cooker to see what he was capable of as a thespian. And going for safe bets that were box office things were not really his thing. The only reason he did the Matrix sequels is because he really was interested in the metaphysical questions that were posed by it. Yeah, and it seems like really what it comes down to is that, you know, Keanu Reeves had, you know, kind of his rise and had his speed run and had a little bit after that and then started fading again as the 2000s came around. And then we had the Keanu Renaissance. Well, we had uh, Constantine as well. that was just in there in kind of his his down period. Mm hmm. It was like the one bright spot that didn't get all that much play. It's kind of got a little cult following amongst those extraneous DC fans, I guess. Yeah, if you're into Vertigo <laughs> titles, for sure. Um, or or the, just, you know, if anybody else, The Lake House? Huh? Time travel mailbox, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be fair, Constantine, that film really works best if you don't really compare or know anything about the material it comes from. It, it's just... Constantine is not Constantine. It's it's Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves in the right. movie. If I know what I mean. So well, I, and, just, I just watched it again a couple weeks ago. Well, there is talk of a follow up to that, um, and apparently DC is kind of open to it. So they're I'm, I'm opening opening conversations. The CW version's a little bit more truer to the character, and I, I'm a little surprised. Uh, like, are, are they serious about like having Keanu Reeves come back? And continuing to do it the same way he did back in 2005. You know, he he was in talks to come back. That would be the only way they would revive it. Um, but I think I think that's just kind of rumor right now in the rumor mill because nothing's getting shot right now. So, yeah, uh, nothing's yeah. getting beyond. Oh, there's rumors of this. They're talking um, <laughs> in well, this. It, it's easier for rumors to flourish because things are so halted that really the only entertainment you can get nowadays is the rumors of what's going on in the film industry. Yeah, they what you really... hope will happen. Right. No, nothing over. can be really greenlit, therefore nothing can be truly squashed. <laughs> if you have enough time to build up the groundswell, I mean, the writers actually said that 
when the ideas started getting floated around. And you used to see, again, when this first started coming out, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, they're doing videos, they're doing interviews, they're saying, we want to make another Bill and Ted movie to drum up the interest. And I feel like you could do that with any film project now, given all this time to build the groundswell and say, look, look at all these people that say they want to see this now. Oh, right, Will right, you right. light it? Yeah. Uh, but this movie also, you know, we talk about the rumors, uh, you know, it was, it felt like a rumor for a long time. And then when I started finally seeing the set photos, that's when I got excited. I'm like, wow. Okay. So they're actually on set filming. Thank you. Now I believe it. Now I'm anticipating, I'm counting the days and they did a lot of cool stuff in the buildup to all this, you know, where they said like, Hey, if you want to film yourself, playing guitar, air guitar, rocking out, you know, it's going to be part of a special scene in the film. I had intended to do this, and I just never got a chance, unfortunately. I wish I could have sent that in. I think I never heard of this contest, but once I saw the end credits of this film, I realized there must have been some kind of contest, and I missed it. Oh, yeah, because Weird Al makes an appearance, I think Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel (laughs) as well. Um, Yeah, And, and did you guys stick around to the very, very end? Oh, yes. Okay. But before we get to the end, <laughs> I feel like we got to start at the beginning. But it's time travel, man. <laughs> I know, but it's not memento. Um, <laughs> no, but, but it feels like this is a situation where when we were pitching our concepts for our third Bill and Ted films, it was either, okay, Bill and Ted have broken up. That was kind of your concept, Jeremy, yeah. right? They, they were separated. What was going to get them back together? And then uh, I'm trying to remember what Jeff's pitch was even. Do you recall what specifically he had in mind? Because I was like, wait a minute. Oh, no. Nope. Still don't have it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have it on the tip of my tongue. I actually listened to that recently and oh, focused more on mine because it, it seemed like part of my pitch was part of this, but it really didn't. Um, yeah. And even our final pitch worked out. We had s- similar elements, I think. Yeah, well, my initial concept was they had failed to write the song after all these years. They had finally gotten to the moment where they had written it, and then it got stolen after they recorded it, and it was a race through time to steal it back. Right. So there, there were some elements that played into it. And, you know, I didn't have the daughter's angle, but I did have the sons and all that, you know, where they were working together to try to do that but still yeah i don't know if anybody 100 percent would have predicted this exact line of thought and this this way that the story would play out but it's certainly what did you guys think just in the the opening scenes as we're getting some narration from thea and billy their daughters explaining you know catching us up to where they're at and we're seeing all the different album covers and all their failed attempts <laughs> to uh to pull it together after wild stallions for bogus journey broke up so death is out of the band and so forth uh i here's the thing uh i, I wasn't sure how i felt about little bill and little ted you know it, we were given a very distinct impression at the end of bogus journey that, that those were two baby boys, right? Did anyone else get that impression when they first of saw course, them? Yeah, that's just the assumption. Yeah. yeah. And um, when I first saw the previews, I was like, really? Like, how, How's that going to work? And, you know, they gave them names that could be very easily interchanged. So I, I the fact that I was able to buy that let me know that I was going to end up enjoying the movie. Because I, I was like, how are they going to sell that to me? And <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the names, the names that they actually have are close enough. They were able to buy me off in that regard. 
I was also impressed because, you know, I've heard of Samara Weaving before. She has a similarity to other actresses like, um, gosh, who is it that plays Harley Quinn? I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Margot. Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah she's right. got a, like, she's got a kind of that look. A, yeah. A, a lot of actresses. Oh, I shouldn't say a lot, but, there, but I've seen memes on Facebook having fun with the fact that a lot of actresses look like her. Like, you know, like the top tier, gorgeous Marilyn Monroe level. You know what I mean? And to be able to take her and have her convincingly come off as kind of a metalhead rocker dude, like that takes some top tier acting. And that also helped sell me, you know? Okay. Like just convincingly. <laughs> like, okay. It was one thing to accept a young Keanu Reeves. Mm hmm. Like also having seen his other work as also going, yeah, I can totally see him as like the stoner dumb kid. Uh, but these two girls, it was uh, it was painful to like watch them dumb down to try to achieve that level. Yeah, well, they're definitely like, putting on an affect. Now, this is what yeah. I will say. Samara weaving to me is the most natural of the two. So she was the one. Yes. To me, she seemed like a normal girl. You know, she, the, the words she was saying were very much like, oh, I'm totally into music and it's all I think about and care about. Now, the girl who was uh, playing Billy, who was Ted's daughter, yeah. is way overdoing it. At least in the early scenes, I felt like she was just like, yeah, I'm moving robotically and talking like Keanu Reeves. And like everything was just really, she looked strange. And so I, I was put off also at the very beginning, but I feel like that performance softens and she, she kind of gels better throughout the rest of the film. It's not as intense, but yeah, it was definitely, I was like, Oh, yikes. Okay. That's, that's just, that's just an impression of Keanu Reeves. Okay. Yeah. I, I was also getting like weird vibes of like, that's Finn Wolfhard for some reason. <laughs> like I, maybe she gives off some different vibes like that, but the way she's playing down, like it, it, it was really, it, it took me out of it with her character. Hmm. Um, and, and I would agree. She draws attention to herself in a big way. Yeah. And and granted, like they didn't have to go that route. They could have even played it like uh, two or three steps above it intelligence wise, um, because both of their mothers are 14th century princesses that <laughs> would have been educated. And they both are doing fine in the modern world. Um, you'd think there'd be a little little bit of 50 50 going on there and not. <laughs> Not seemingly the genetics were heavily weighted on the Bill and Ted side. Well, here's what I'll, I'll say about that. Now, to, in my family, so I got three kids, right? I have a two-year-old who is still on the fence. Which way is he going to go? More like my wife, more like my daughter. But my son is 100% got every... Uh, just like worry every academic acumen everything he got if it's from my wife and they are just like twins and on the other hand my daughter and i are a very very simpatico you know like we just we're on the same wavelength and we're just kind of a little bit a little bit wacky we like weird things we just go with the flow we don't worry too much you know and so when i was watching this movie i was like okay see i could see this where you have that daughter relationship who just kind of really 
catches your vibe and is interested in what you're interested in. I mean, because she's in my office all the time playing with my old 90s action figures. She's playing Nintendo with me. I want to play Super Mario Brothers 3, you know? So it's like <laughs> she's she's going back in time with me and she's getting into all that stuff, you know? So I, I, I started connecting with it on that level. I was like, this is great. But also I loved seeing the characters come back at Missy's wedding to Ted's oh brother Deacon. Oh my goodness. <laughs> What a great way to carry on a gag 30 years later. Yeah, yes. the long road that they travel with just <laughs> Missy. Oh my goodness. Married both of their dads and yeah. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, it, it was good to see Ted's dad back. We don't know what happened to Bill's dad, but uh, maybe that's for the best. You know, he didn't look so great in Bogus Journey, as they said. Right. <laughs> Losing Missy did not go well for him. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that was a really interesting moment, you know, where, you know, they're having that whole uh, reception and all those things. And then you just kind of go with it. You're like, yeah, this is kind of the, the weirdness of their family. And then Bill and Ted get called out by Ted's dad, who uh, he stands by the fact that he doesn't believe that any of their adventures happened, you know, despite having been possessed by Ted in the second movie and, and all of that, like, it's just, no, no, nothing happened. You guys are crazy. Get jobs, get, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but this is the vibe that I got at the beginning. It bothered me at first, but then I sort of realized, no, 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 this is what they were going for because it felt kind of downbeat. It felt kind of slow. It lacked the cartoonish energy of the original films. And I was like, oh, man, are Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves just old? And I was like, no, 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 yeah. they're playing old. They're playing worn down. They're playing depressed and disappointed because they haven't fulfilled their destiny. And I was like, okay, see, I see where they're going now. One of the concerns I had before seeing the film was where are they going to go from here? Because in the trailers, we clearly see time travel is coming back into the mix. Time travel was the first movie. Second movie was about traveling between spiritual planes. And I was like, okay, what are they going to do next? And and to go back to time travel, I was afraid it was going to be worn out and tired. But, you know... uh, (laughs) I don't want to evoke Avengers Endgame, but now people are starting, as audiences, uh, audiences are getting a little more receptive to the concept of just alternate realities, things getting bent around in the time stream. So yeah, time travels back, but not in the same way that it was before. I saw in the trailers how they were going to be picking up historical figures again, and I was like, oh no, please don't. It wasn't quite like that. Historical figures are already being displaced, and I don't care if it's blasphemy, but seeing our Lord play the cowbell... <laughs> I, 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 my life feels complete. Um, yeah. That was pretty hilarious. Spoiler alert. I don't know if we made it clear in the beginning. We're, we're doing spoilers, right? Oh, spoilers. yeah. If if okay. you haven't been with us long, uh, yes, sequel chat is full spoilers. So a little too late now, but yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, the fact that they were already being displaced and they're just kind of being picked up casually admits the displacement gave it a new flavor. And yes, there is something a little bit more soulful about Bill and Ted traveling through time. And this time it's a bit more of a catharsis about themselves Mm. than them simply trying to get a high school project taken care of. And maybe you guys might frown on this, but that scene of them meeting their older selves in the old folks home, it did get me just a little bit. Just a little bit. 
No, like, they played it so beautifully. I mean, yeah. that's jumping ahead a little bit, but I just felt like, yeah, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter just, they played the wise old us's with such like yeah. love. And you saw like the peace in their hearts. They're like, everything worked out. Everything's fine. We're just reassuring you guys, you know, you can go for it. Here's the song now. Discover what we ultimately discovered yeah. type thing. Yeah. And, and I didn't mean to get that far ahead. It's just that I just, I had to give that credit right away before I forgot. Uh, the journey along the way really rewards the intelligence of the audience. As you guys mentioned before, it, it was a little bit disappointing that the girls took more after their dads than after their mothers. And that made me wonder if there were limits on the imagination of the writers. I felt like I got surprised a bit. I, Them traveling through time trying to steal the song from themselves it reminded me a lot of Calvin and Hobbes when they didn't want to do their <laughs> homework. So they traveled to go and see... If a 10 o'clock Calvin and Hobbes had done it, no, he didn't. Okay, we'll go visit 11 o'clock Calvin and Hobbes. And maybe they did the homework, you know? I, I like haven't seen that gag in forever, and it was done really well here. And when they go to that mansion and visit themselves who are with British accents and such, I was like, is this film intelligent enough to dare to have us encounter a Bill and Ted who is trying to fool them into thinking that they completed it when they really didn't? They went there. I, <laughs> In the back of my mind, I was like, is this really somebody else's mansion and they're just pretending that they succeeded? Like, is the film smart enough to go there? Is the film daring enough to go there? The door opens and there is freaking Dave Grawl from Nirvana and Foo <laughs> Fighters. And I was like, yes, they went there. And sure enough, I, I had to stop myself from laughing because uh, confession, I watched this while I was at work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had to stop myself from laughing as you see the future Bill and Ted pulling off their disguises. They're missing a bunch of hair. They've they got the fat in. Thor look. For right. Oh, oh, yes. They had <laughs> Thor's bod from you know, Endgame. And they had taken up drinking and all that. Um, well, another, I, thing that, that other thing that had me worried about the intelligence of this film is the timeline. I'm sorry. I know this is nerdy and nitpicky. But the film says it's been 25 years since their last adventure, right? Correct. The time jumps. Yes. The first time jump takes them two years into the future, and it clearly says 2022. 25 years before 2020 would be 1995. Last adventure was 91, right? You know what I mean? Just that alone had me worried in the beginning. But you know, you learn to forget that stuff when you see the intelligence blossoming in other places. Yeah, and I got to go back to, you know, the scene at the mansion, because after they see Dave Grohl, they close the door, they run into whatever that closet was where they're changing. And the, you know, so our Bill and Ted are confronting the loser Bill and Ted's. And my favorite moment of this film, outside of uh, the two characters that come along in a little bit, but just my favorite Bill and Ted moment is when a loser Bill, loser Bill pulls a gun on Bill and Ted. And he's like, oh, you don't have to pull a gun on us. Watch what happens when I don't. And so he points the gun down and they start walking away. And then it clicks and they turn around again. He's like, see? And then when they push loser Ted into loser Bill, just so like comically, and he goes, oh! Like it's so like you know he was just overacting you know just being goofy and they left it in you know because he's just like a little little nudge into him ah! <laughs> watch that again guys it's hilarious uh yes um another thing that i was curious about and I, I mean again i was at work but i tried to watch the film as closely as i could um correct me if i missed anything but one of the things I was worried about is we live in an era where people are forced a lot to have to apologize for things of previous eras. 
There was a streak of homophobia in the first two films. Very right. small, but it was there. And I was one of the things I was worried about is this film was going to bend over backwards to try to apologize for that. I didn't see any of that, which mm-hmm. that's difficult to do because it can come off as preachy and cringy. I didn't see that. Did you guys see anything like that in this film? Uh, no, it was very much. Uh, we don't talk about that. We've moved on. Yeah, they didn't okay. even say babes. You know, right. they only ever said princesses. Yeah. You know, so that that was definitely a, a I, conscious. I, I didn't notice that. That's that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and and honestly, that's probably the way to go. Just don't make the mistakes again, but don't make a big deal about past mistakes. And the writers said that, you know, they were writing an evolved Bill and Ted. So they were like, where would their lives have taken them? They've had daughters, you know, during this period. Like, so their perception of women and their respect for them, all those things has obviously grown and changed. I mean, you see it a little bit in their attempts to uh, be good husbands in the couple's therapy scenes, you know, like they're they're doing their best. Which was hilarious, by the way. Uh, I and Bill finding creative (laughs) ways to say we without saying we I thought that was just (laughs) good fashioned old fashioned comedy I love that yeah Um, but yeah but so uh, the weirdest element to me that just suddenly comes in because you know you have uh, Kristen Schaal in this uh, as Kelly Rufus's daughter who is named after George Carlin's daughter Kelly real life daughter yes yeah which is really, that was a great nod. And we got to see Rufus, you know, as the hologram with the original phone too. booth. Uh, but I, when they're in the future, the one thing that was weird to me is it looks so different from the future they visited originally, you know, either in either film. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't quite match up. And you got this weird council and everything's so ominous. And, yeah. and I guess in the first one, it was sort of ominous, but it was more just cool. Well, know? but at the same time, as, yeah, continuity hasn't been the biggest strength yeah. of the Bill and Ted multiverse. But yeah. I mean, you could also just play this, write this off as like the quantum entanglement of the future. The future is ever changing, but there are constants that happen throughout time. And this yeah. element of the prophecy of Bill and Ted. I was so grateful to have Kid Cuddy there to explain it all to me. That was just, that was just... <laughs> right. Have you guys seen about Comedy Bang Bang? Uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched that show. It's based on the podcast that Scott Ackerman did, but he had a TV show for many seasons. And originally he had a guy named Reggie, who was his band leader, if you want to say. And then he eventually left to go beat the band leader on an actual late night talk show. Right, right, right. And so Kid Cudi took over for a season and so he was doing like this kind of weird comedy stuff just like he's doing in this movie that i was thinking like that had to essentially have been his audition to end up in this movie you know so because it's very very similar to how he played things and he must be flattered to be in that pantheon with Jimi hendrix and louis armstrong (laughs) and mozart and I'm so sorry I did not catch the name of the flautist from 2600 BC. Yeah. Uh, Ling Lun. My wife got so excited. She's like, oh, the magic flute. Because like she played classical music in high school. And she's a <laughs> singer and she knows all this stuff. And I was like, oh. So that's why Mozart's excited to see the flautist. Okay, I get it now. Like I wouldn't have gotten that though because they don't spell it out to you at all. And, yeah. and then the cave drummer, she had a name. I didn't catch Grom, it. I believe. Grom? Okay. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Sometimes, unfortunately, the farther they travel back in time, the harder it is to pick up names that are not anglicized. That is my 
my right, advice. Right, understandingly, yeah. but it also wasn't pronounced uh, as definitive. It just kind of yeah. came and went. Yeah, and they called her like Miss Grom, and yeah, so yeah. just kind of in in a long list of names. So, so at what point in the movie did you figure out that it was the girls who were going to write the song? Uh, did, did you have a premonition, Colton? You usually catch these things pretty early on. Normally, I would, but in this occasion, no. I thought it was a sweet, gentle catharsis and affirmation at the end when they realize, you know, in this timeline, it's really their girls who have to fix everything because uh, and I'm, I'm putting a little bit of interpretation on the film but to me it seems like yeah they were on a path where they were going to be the ones that changed the world while stallions all the way and i think they kind of took that future for granted they took it as a complete written in stone predestination and then it ended up not happening so if they want to create that utopia they had to take a different path and that path goes through their children it goes back to something my dad always said to me that each generation needs to be better than the last and inspired by the last as it were and that just that was just a beautiful passing of the torch i thought in a way where they realized yeah we didn't really get to fulfill our destiny the way we wanted but we still can through you it's yours now and i felt it worked beautifully i liked how they were able to save the world not by strictly time travel but by just simply kind of in the moment United Ages. That's the kind of crazy thing that I wrote about when I was in high school. Just just metaphysical stuff that nobody would ever understand. That thing of playing the concert in front of all the eras simultaneously. Like I, I never would have dreamed that audiences would actually dig something like that. Like the appearance. I, I believe it was Saturn showing up right next to the Earth, creating an eclipse. Mm-hmm. Having things get displaced, not just across their locations, but across their eras back and forth all the time. That's the type of stuff I used to write about that I thought no one's ever going to appreciate that. And to see that be brought to fruition in this movie and fully well realized with considering the budget, very impressive special effects in my opinion, just the whole thing, just, I I really enjoyed it. It really struck, struck a chord on a very personal level. So it, it stood out to me by, probably the end of the first act that that's what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when Rufus and Mrs. Rufus are walking and saying, well, there are multiple interpretations or alternate interpretations of that prophecy. And yes, she was implying the killer robot we'd send to go kill Bill and Ted because their death would unite the world. But at the same time, they kept interchanging with the girls enough that it was like, all the all the scenes we've seen are the girls going through time picking up the the band members and mm-hmm. they're doing this on their own they're creating the band so yeah well for it for me it was just the, the fact that they only ever referred to Preston Logan they say they kept saying Preston Logan at this time in yeah. this place Preston Logan so when it said I was like okay the fact that they're not saying Bill and Ted that is definitely the tip off that it's going to be the girls but I I was 100% fine with that because, yeah. you know, it, it was definitely, it looked like it was going that direction. Now, the only thing I will to me, say. I just treated that as an alternate, an alteration in the timeline. I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, they basically missed their chance to fulfill their destiny the traditional way. Now they have to take a different path. Gotcha. Yeah. But but I just felt like, you know, the the girls themselves did not have a journey to go on. Like they were the catalyst for the things that were happening in a lot of ways. You know, they, mm-hmm. like you said, they were the ones getting the band together. They were the ones taking the journey, but I, I just, you know, 
I, I love the fact that they were 100% supportive of their dads and believed in the dream and all that. But I guess I just felt like they didn't have any character flaws. They didn't have any doubts about themselves. Like there, there was just nothing. It wasn't really their story. That is the very thing that shrouded me from seeing their role at the end. Yeah. If I'm being honest, they, yeah. they, they were fun. They were exciting. They, it just looked like they were sidekicks helping their dads. And that kept me from suspecting that they would be more. Yeah. But, and they do mention at the end when they say, when, you know, Bill and Ted tell them, Hey, you're going to do this. And they're like, well, we don't, we don't write music. You know, we just take samples of things that we like to listen to. And I was like, they should have set that up at the beginning. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because like that, that was something that they didn't believe in themselves that they could ever write music or something because that, that just kind of came out of nowhere that they sample music and that they create like, I don't know, mashups or something like that. We saw no evidence of that. Well, but they were, they did mention sampling early on once they started time traveling. Um, that's like when she pulled out the phone and started recording Jimi Hendrix. I thought that's mm-hmm. what they were going to do was just take a cut of the audio and begin ah. chopping things up. But then they use that as a catalyst to go get Louis Armstrong, bring him back, get Jimmy and uh, and then start playing off of the influences. So if we want Jimi Hendrix, we got to go get who influenced him and Louis and then who influenced Louis. Got to go back to Mozart. Got to go back and go back and it's like all the while we're seeing okay so the girls are doing all of this because they are influenced by their fathers in order to perform the finale at the end oh yeah and i and i i could definitely see where that's where you would think it would it would start out yeah that they're just like taking the ideas and putting them all together instead of actually bringing the people um, but of course, you know, enter into this, like you guys alluded to this whole plot that you have to kill Bill and Ted to unite the universe. And I was like, right. oh, wow, I, I did not understand the, the great leaders perspective there. I was like, really, is, is that going to do it? Um, so that they create a robot who looks like an escapee from the current incarnation of Power Rangers that my kids watch. <laughs> Disney yeah. Power Rangers, that's a hundred percent what they're villains look like yeah Yeah, it was a cross between him and uh one of the recent villains in the halo video game series (laughs) now do you guys know who was in that suit who was under that makeup yeah i i looked him up jeremy would i i knew the name he'd been on flash but i knew him more from gotham where he played victor zaz yeah he's a creepy looking dude uh, you know (laughs) just in real life but but his role is in this case is like so gentle. Well, I guess initially he's robotic, but after he accidentally kills some people, <laughs> accidentally kills Ted's dad. Wait, you have the song? <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes were made. Family killed. <laughs> <laughs> you lasered them <laughs> like so like uh, it was so it's so funny like the evolution of the character until they finally get to hell and manage to uh have that moment where he has totally changed character now and he's telling him my name is dennis my name is dennis mccoy dennis <laughs> caleb mccoy thing. and they're just getting more and more annoyed at him you know <laughs> Uh, that the idea that they're like, hey, wait, how does how does a robot die? Why is yeah. there a robot? Right. 
Yeah, I, I like that they at least acknowledge some of that stuff. But really, as enjoyable as that is, like, I can't really countenance anybody who would criticize that because that, in a way, it's enjoyable, but it's also par for the course. He's, After that, he's the Jar Jar Binks of this movie. <laughs> well, what, what I mean is they had those weird robot Bill and Ted's in the second movie. Not the evil ones, but the ones that were homemade. Mm-hmm. They had that weird... Bigfoot creature that could split in two in the station. Yeah, just like a variety of those things. Like a a robot that goes to hell. It's funny. They acknowledge it. They acknowledge that there's a weird soulless contradiction there. And yet it's not all that strange with all we've seen before. And I can accept it. It's not too jarring for me or jar jarring. Yeah, but so he's like the the breakout character, I feel like, of this film. He's like the new introduction where you're like, oh, I love this guy, just like you loved death in Bogus Journey. This character who starts out like serious and then the facade breaks and you realize who they are underneath this like super insecure person. Uh, you know, death just has a little different way of covering it. And honestly, this whole movie, the only thing that mattered to me was them getting back together with death. When I found out yes. that William Sadler was yes. in this movie, I was just like, thank you. Oh, yes. so beautiful. Yes. William Sadler is an underrated thespian. Like the only thing I've really seen him doing lately is being the president of the United States in the Marvel universe. But like, he was such a great villain in Die Hard 2. He was great on Tales from the Crypt. Like just, Rocket Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just yeah. I just I just love all the stuff he does, and I and I thought he was great as death, considering his thespian background to take on a goofy role as looking like the incarnation of the Grim Reaper from the Seventh Seal, but making it goofy for Bill and Ted and playing Twister with them. I just I admired the heck out of him for being willing to do that, and then on top of that, thirty years later, being willing to come back and do it again, doing that German accent, totally committing. I just. And yes, I was just grinning from ear to ear when he was playing hopscotch with himself and cheating. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, and I just love the whole conversation where they're arguing about why the band broke up. They're like, you tried to take the name Wild Stallions. I was Wild Stallions. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you were playing 40 minute bass solos yeah that was the most <laughs> exciting part of the show <laughs> you know, all that stuff and especially it was a small thing but you know when he like talked to the hand and then he shuts the door and they knock on the door who is it bill and ted you know like keanu reeves is so ticked <laughs> off i love it i mean like that, so like that whole just ten minute stretch there of the whole interaction and making a man <laughs> making amends was just like the funniest thing to me. I just couldn't get enough, and especially just all the history that they worked in. Like that's the stuff I wanted. You know, we saw it at the end of Bogus Journey with all the newspaper and magazine headlines. But I wanted to know what it was like. So when the girls are referencing his solo albums and all that stuff, you know, like it's just so great the the world building they were doing in that moment. Yeah. And even how he teams up eventually with Dennis, where Dennis is kind of like trying to find out like how do I get to be in the band? You know, he's like right. you don't you don't get to you can't just say rock. You know, you don't just get to rock. You have to earn the right. You know, like, you're getting oh, the accents. So- Oh, well. <laughs> uh, well, and I have to, I will admit this here. I actually played Death right. in a play in 1991. 
So like I I have a kinship with William Sadler and that I, it was written into a play that I did as a kid, the character from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, that version of death and playing the board games and all this stuff against people so they could be freed from their purgatory so yeah always very special to me whether you are a king or a chimney sweeper you will eventually (laughs) dance with the reaper get down with your bad self you know yeah i mean i love i love it and so yeah the the whole uh idea of them going back then you know because it's interesting how he said he'd been demoted because he let, you know, two supposed friends back into the realm of the living. But now he was going to do it again. It wasn't very complicated. You know, really, obviously, he still had the power to do it. He just had to have the will and the desire and feel like they had all, you know, uh, made amends. So that was good. But I like, um, I like that the daughters were the catalyst for getting death back with yes. the group again. You know, I, I like that they built that bridge because... Bill and Ted had kind of burned their bridge with death, but the girls still, you know, had a good relationship with them and they went in and they helped mend fences. I, I really like that scene. Yeah. And so when they finally get up there and they're, you know, figuring it out, they don't have the song, but then they figure out that the girls are the ones who are going to organize the playing of the song. I mean, all of that is pretty great. Now, my only, uh, criticism as far as like the continuity of the universe of knowing the bill and ted lore so at the end of bill and ted's excellent adventure when rufus comes to the garage he asks that the princesses sign his album too because they're in the band <laughs> right and then in bill and ted's bogus journey they are they're the drummer and they're the keyboardist right and so the fact that in this movie they're, you know, A, not part of the band. I understand because they had to get real jobs to support Bill and Ted to keep trying to make the song. But then at the end, I really wish, and again, they had Mozart, they had Grom, the cavewoman drummer, but I wish that the princesses could have been doing something other than just standing off to the side of the stage because they were such a core part of the mythology that was built up. Yeah, I, I understand that sentiment. To me, it's simply they had a destiny, they took it for granted, and their course just got altered. And it's a shame that as part of that alteration, of course, uh, the princesses got reduced to, for lack of a better phrase, extra baggage. Yeah, and it, so that, that was a shame. Um, but I will say, so at the end of the movie, uh, during the credits, and I'm not talking about the end credits scene yet, But during the credits, the very last section was special thank yous. And I don't know how many people paid attention to this, but I caught it and I screenshotted it because I was so excited. But they said thank you to the original princesses. And they literally and they said the original princesses as the credit. And they named all four actresses who had played the princesses between the first two. At the original station, so they had the two actors who played station, uh-huh. and then they also, uh, after that, they thanked good robot Bill and Ted, the actors who were inside the suits. <laughs> so even though they're not in the movie, I thought it was so great that they still included them as part of you know the universe and the history, and it just warmed my heart. That was like the icing on the cake of all of it. On my short list of disappointments is not finding out the fate of those good robots. Yeah. Or, did you guys catch that? No, I, I don't think they mentioned yeah. it at all, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, not finding out what happened with that, because I, I think it's kind of a big deal in 1991 or 95 that there are sentient robots that are right. 
Like you, you'd think they'd make news like Ted the talking teddy bear, you know. Um, but another thing, and this is so juvenile on my part, I really wanted somebody, somebody who deserved it, but somebody to get Melvin. And nobody got <laughs> Melvin in this movie. And I was disappointed in that. Yeah, I mean, it felt like there wasn't as much of a, a villain in the story other than to say, like, the loser Bill and Ted. So I guess they could have done it when they were trying to get away or, you know, they could have like secret Melvin to them while they, you know, buy themselves some time instead of putting buckets on their head and being unpredictable so that their other us's wouldn't be able to tell what they were doing. Um, and, I, and I love the double plural usage of throughout this franchise of us's. Yeah. <laughs> it's a staple. Um, oh, and and I, also one, I want to say one last thing about that scene when they meet themselves as old guys, there's something so poignant and so funny yet so true of Ted talking to his older self and saying, you know, I feel like I never really got to know you. Yeah. Just like just, it's so funny, but it's it's so heart piercing, you know. Well, and then Bill apologizing to himself. I'm sorry, I wasn't always there for you. He's like, <laughs> you were, dude. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like so, like they're just coming. Whoa. Yeah, even though there wasn't any actual issue, you know, <laughs> and he's like some of this complicated okay. humor, like, like it's on like with that wedding of saying, "Hey, Dad, technically you're you are your own son," and go, <laughs> going around in circles like that. I love the depth of that humor. How you have to stop and think about it for a little while, and yeah, I I, I got to give major credit to the screenwriters who they subverted my expectations. I was worried this would just be a nostalgic rehash to get people to pay money but no no, they genuinely care about their creation and they genuinely wanted to take it to the next level um one of my curiosities i'm curious to know what you guys think some people are saying that this is setting it up so that there could be future adventures focusing on the daughters what do you think i wouldn't doubt that that it's very much a handing off of the torch in a way and also with the way that as you were saying with that poignant older us's with Bill and Ted, like there was a dynamic there that it was almost like almost meta with Keanu almost apologizing to his older self that it's like he never really got to know the character of Ted in a way, oh. maybe reading into it a little too much with all the backstory we covered today of the agent and everything. Maybe it's kind of their swan song so that they they're just tangentially associated with the franchise from this point yeah, like on. In a Cobra Kai type of well, I guess they're, uh, they're pretty involved, actually. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, Zap and, and uh yeah, they, they, I guess they, they are kind of the main focus. Yeah, Macho's in there. But like yeah, I mean I'd be interested just because like I said, there wasn't any development of Thea and Billy, and I would love to see you what they could become, how they could develop and what could be, you know, the, the way that they deal and, and interact with the world. Cause we didn't get that here in a, in a big way. Um, at the same time though, like, I feel like we also have to, there was a throwback element in this that I think is kind of subtle unless you stop to really consider, but that is the practical makeup effects were fantastic. Yes. In this movie, yeah. especially old Bill and Ted, like they mm -hmm. were amazing. 
Um, but also, I mean, even, yeah, just the, the loser Bill and Ted with their, I'll, you know, I'll balding. tell you, over the years, I've seen a lot of old makeup in movies and it can get downright embarrassingly even bad. Even Marvel movies. Where yeah, they have all they, the they've done the it really yeah. well here, you know? But, but, that, but see, that's what I'm saying. Like the Marvel movies, they're using a lot of CGI. Yep. Here you could tell it was all practical. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just think it's beautiful the way the way that they worked with that because you know it took me back to like Granny S. Preston Esquire for Bogus Journey you know where Alex Winter was in that makeup yes, right here on the left right <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, Jeremy you we kind of started wanting to talk about this end credit scene so why don't you take us into that well I mean it's just I wasn't sure they weren't gonna croak in the middle <laughs> of it. Um, and they say that, hey, are you dead? Are you dead yet? No, no not yet. <laughs> oh, there's one more thing we have to do. They get up out of bed and they plug in their guitars to their amps and they just rock out together and like playing some, some nice riffs in unison. And then <laughs> after the high five, the post rock out high five, Bill's like, oh, I can't I, move I his arm. <laughs> yeah, he's all stiff. <laughs> Nurse! <laughs> Knocked out so, of place, most likely. Yeah, and I just felt Very like nice. that was a great way to end it. You know, you just get this moment. And again, they were just playing those characters so real. That's what I loved about the, the wise old Bill and Ted is they just felt like they really were, you know, at the end of their lives, but again, at peace. And so you were happy to see where they ended up. <sighs> but did you guys have any final thoughts overall? I mean, just as far as like expectations met, exceeded, uh, disappointed in any way? There's a part of me that wants to try to get back to the movie theater as soon as possible to see if I can catch it on the big screen before I try to buy it, the video on demand thing, you know, but to, to keep, I mean. Because uh, I I enjoyed it that much. I'm very impressed with what they accomplished with this budget. I don't know if you guys know this. It didn't cost that much more than Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey was about $20 million. This was about twenty five. Considering what they got on the screen, to, to put it in perspective, the average Adam Sandler comedy costs like $60 or $70 million. And those aren't exactly special effects heavy most of the time. Right. So to do what they did in this movie for $25 million is very impressive to me. And it was beautifully shot. Like, just... Visually stunning film, in my opinion. And do you guys recognize the name of the director? Do you know what else he directed? Dean Dean Parasot. Did he direct the Power Rangers movie not too long ago? Or was that Dean Israel? Sorry, Sorry, I got mixed up. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, he actually directed Galaxy Quest. Oh, so I mean, he was almost like perfect for this type of movie, you know, just like a little bit of meta, you know, but like some smart humor really mixed into a goofy premise, you know, so it felt like, yeah, if they were going to get anybody, he really matched it perfectly. Nice. Okay, my wife's going to want to hear that. She loves Galaxy Quest. So, (laughs) yeah, that'll be another reason to go back and see it so I can take her to see it because, yeah, good. That's the selling point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I and I wound up buying it. Uh, I mean, a five dollar difference between owning it and renting it is exactly. That's just the world we're living in right now. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping to get my A list subscription back online though, so it can mitigate the cost a little bit. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but just playing it, playing it overly cautious, like yes. a lot of people are right now. So. Yes. Yeah. And I I will say, like, the only thing to me is, you know, there were elements of it, but I feel like this is just 
the like you say the nature of the budget but also just the world of filmmaking we live in where it seemed a little cheap in some places but it to me that it's just the style of filmmaking these days doesn't feel as grand especially when there is like blue screen involved and things well green screen sorry <laughs> that's how old school i am um, <laughs> but but i guess what i'm saying is like so it, it didn't feel wholly cinematic in a lot of places it you know it felt like you know maybe something more of a, a mid-level netflix production but like you said like the vibe of the film the style of the humor and the way that they really you could just tell that it was a labor of love that it just it came across with it made you just feel so good that it made you overlook any you know production limitations they might have had and but it did feel like they did the best with what they had to work with and the writers said they had to cut a lot of stuff to fit the budget, you know, even including like they had a whole scene with Rufus where they were going to digitally recreate George Carlin and they, and they were hoping to have a scene at the circle K ah, at, just gotcha. right after Bill and Ted meet Bill and Ted, like in the first movie. So and, expensive. Yeah. That yeah. other Bill and Ted were going to show up and talk to Rufus after all of those Bill and Ted's left, you know, it was like a whole kind of situation where they felt like it was a really well-written scene, but they didn't want it to come off as ridiculous, you know, like the, with bad CGI trying to recreate George Carlin. Right. So they said it was best just to leave it, you know? Um, and so there were a lot grander plans, but they didn't feel like the movie suffered too heavily for it. And I would agree. It's a lean 90 minute film, but it leaves you with a smile on your face in the end and a nice abrupt, but a nice final commentary, you know, on, on unity in the world and bringing people together and all that. So very nice job, Bill and Ted face the music. Yeah. It so not, it felt authentic. It didn't feel like a cash grab at all. It was a real artistic labor of love. And we're in the majority, by the way. Like it's got like around 80% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Better than Bogus Journey by far. So this is this is a film that I think is going to be sticking around in people's memories for a while. Yeah, especially since it's just been, you know, the drought of new films coming out mm -hmm. at all. You know, and so the idea that this is kind of like that hopeful film coming out, you know, it was this or New Mutants. And I don't believe New Mutants is getting as critically uh, hey, beloved. Hey, 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 <laughs> it had the highest box office since the pandemic. So leave it be. <laughs> <laughs> That's not saying much, but I still want to go see it anyways. Just yeah, uh, yeah big, I do want to see curiosity. It. That's what I feel like. Everybody's paying the money because they're just like, oh, it finally came out? Okay. You know, that's worth 25 bucks just to satisfy the curiosity. Yeah. Same with people are going to pay their money to get their HBO subscription for a month to see the Snyder Cut when that finally comes out. So, you know, the, just that, that curiosity factor certainly will make people fork over the dough. But, uh, yeah, will this be uh, a short return of sequel chat who knows we will see what comes up next maybe we will review new mutants maybe we will review some of the other films slated for the end of the year that have been delayed i know there's a top gun sequel that is uh, supposed to be coming out so we will see how the studios decide to release things will Disney give us a Christmas present and drop Black Widow at the end of the year just to knock Top Gun out of the <laughs> top box office slot. Who no, November first, holding out hope that I'm, uh, early November is they'll commit to they'll keep their commitment for Black Widow. Time will tell. 
But until next time, catch you later, gnarly listeners. We hope you enjoyed all of the fun of today's episode and invite you to join us on our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and on most of your favorite podcatchers. And of course, visit us at our new home on the web, theretronetwork.com. This has been a presentation of The Retro Network.